Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Monday, May 15th, and we start with local news. A months-long battle over plans to establish a regional trash disposal facility on a federal Superfund site in Murray County that sits alongside the Duck River has now landed in court. Remedial Holdings filed suit last Wednesday against the Marshall-Murray Municipal Solid Waste Planning Region Board, which in April rejected the company's application to expand a landfill first created in 1986 by the Monsanto Chemical Company. The contamination from Monsanto's operations, which included manufacturing chemical warfare agents, led to the property's Superfund designation. Remedial Holdings is claiming that the Solid Waste Board failed to properly review its request to expand the landfill, instead devoting a meeting to hearing dozens of public comments against it before moving quickly to reject the plan. The company is asking a Davidson County Chancery Court judge to reverse the board's decision. Daniel Murphy, who represents Murray County, said Thursday that he had reviewed the lawsuit but declined to comment. The litigation follows months of community backlash over plans announced by Trinity Business Group, Remedial Holdings' parent company, to build a large-scale trash, recycling, and incineration facility on the old Monsanto property, conflict that has unfolded on social media and local county and city government meetings and at the state legislature. Gail Moore, a Murray County resident and organizer, said Thursday she is unsurprised the company has now turned to the courts after failing to get approval from state environmental regulators, county boards, and state lawmakers. They've got a lot of money invested in this property, Moore said on Thursday, but we're going to be relentless as well. It's just too important, she said. It's disappointing that Remedial Holdings and Trinity Business Group haven't got the clear message that the people of Murray County don't want them, said Scott Banbury, Conservation Program Coordinator for the Tennessee Chapter of the Sierra Club. Trinity Business Group's original plans called for a large-scale waste complex that could accept the household trash and other waste from scores of Tennessee counties, including a looming trash crisis in the state as existing landfills near the end of their lifespan. The company's initial permit requests for a tire-shredding facility, construction, and municipal waste processing plants in an incinerator that would burn non-recyclable materials to generate electricity were put on hold by the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation, which directed the company to seek approval first from Murray County and the City of Columbia. The company has filed to get those approvals. Thousands of Murray County residents concerned about the impact of such operations along the Duck River, a key source of drinking water, agricultural water supplies, and recreation, then successfully pressed state lawmakers to enact more protections. A new law now designates a portion of the Duck River that winds past the old Monsanto property as a state-recognized scenic waterway, which precludes industrial development along its banks. Should the company win their case in court on grounds the Solid Waste Planning Board didn't follow the law in reviewing the company's proposal, the company will still face opposition, Banbury said. Even if the decision of the Marshall-Murray Regional Solid Waste Board is reversed, the applicants will have to address the concerns of the communities of Murray County and the City of Columbia under the Jackson Law and the recent designation of the Duck River through Murray County as a Class II scenic river, he said. 
What remains unclear is if the company can ultimately make a case that the decades-old landfill already at the site can be grandfathered in to escape both the scenic river designation rules and the local approval requirements. The city of Columbia is proud to announce the adoption of an official Columbia flag. The winning flag was designed by local resident and business owner Bryson Leach and was the top vote-getter selected by the community in an online flag design competition which completed in April. In January, city leaders began the process to adopt a flag for Columbia, something Mayor Chaz Mulder showed an interest in since his first term in office. It wasn't until recently when a high school student... Uh, contacted the mayor about the flag that it sparked conversation about a design competition that would turn the flag idea into reality. It is appropriate that the city is adopting an official Columbia flag, said Columbia Mayor Mulder. It all started with an email from Nathaniel Bliss, an Eagle Scout candidate. I am grateful he initiated the conversation about the need for a Columbia flag. Without his initiative and the research he put in on the front end, this project would not have happened, Mulder continued. Columbia deserves to be honored with its own flag. It is a powerful symbol that represents our community and its past, its people, our present, and our future, he said. Nathaniel Bliss has followed the flag competition process closely and even helped spread the word with the help of his fellow scouts. I was inspired to have this flag contest as my Eagle Scout project because of my fascination with vexillology. I have always found it interesting how a simple piece of fabric can have such powerful symbolism, drawing on the history, culture, and people of the city, commented Bliss. Another reason I chose this as my project is because it will have a lasting impact on Columbia and will be a part of Columbia's history. I hope the people of our great city are as invested in this as I am. I'm glad I was able to be a part of this moment, and I will be excited to see the flag waving above City Hall and wherever people choose to fly it for the first time, he said. City leaders wanted this to be a community-inspired project from design to selection. Citizens were first invited to submit their design ideas and provide a narrative explaining why they chose their particular design. Flag design guidelines were provided from the North American Vexillological Association that emphasized the importance of simple designs with minimal but meaningful use of colors and symbols. There were 41 qualifying designs submitted, which were reviewed by the Columbia Arts Council. They narrowed the field to three finalists, Bryson Leach, Amanda Bird, and George Vralis. Then those three designs were shared online, and the community was asked to vote for their favorite, with Bryson Leach's design garnering the most, vo- most votes. I am honored that my design was selected as the new city flag, said Leach. As a lifelong resident of Columbia, it's an absolute joy that I'm able to contribute something that will be a lasting legacy and symbol of the true spirit of our citizens and this place we love, he said. According to Leach, his flag design was created to symbolize Columbia's interwoven history, diversity, and leadership among its citizens and its place in the world. It features a two-toned field of blue over red representing Columbia's presidential history while paying homage to the state of Tennessee and its flag. A horizontal wave of blue and red stripes across the middle represents the Duck River, with the weaving of red and blue representing Columbia's diversity and its place in civil rights history. Finally, a white star in the upper left corner represents Columbia as the county seat and its place in technological, industrial, civic, and community leadership. The public will be invited to attend a flag-raising ceremony in June. The new Columbia flag will be flown at all city facilities. 
Mule Day is easily the largest event that takes place in Murray County each year, bringing in thousands of visitors annually. The Murray County Bridal and Saddle Club has been hosting the event since 1974. A 501c3 nonprofit organization, the club makes sure the event services a variety of different organizations, but most importantly, takes care of horse and mule organizations. In our bylaws, it's mandated that we give 25% of our profits to charity. Murray County Bridal and Saddle Club President Ricky Strain-Smith said, We have a section in the bylaws that tells us who our favored people are. In addition to those donations, money taken in from admission to the park and from vendors is also paid to office staff in the weeks ahead and a few days after the event, as well as used to pay for expenses for the current and future Mule Day events. There are a lot of loose ends to tie up. We have some accounting to take care of. Mule Day isn't over until that's done, Strain-Smith said. While there is a limited staff working before, during, and after Mule Day, the job is really never over. In fact, most of the time, staff is thinking about next year before the current year's event has even begun. We have roughly 50 people working at any given time on Mule Day, and most of those are volunteers, he said. Without the volunteers, we probably couldn't do Mule Day. If Mule Day is a 13-month job, as Strain Smith said, when do the staff and those involved ever get any sleep? We'll take a little time after Mule Day and process what we did, and if we did things right and correct any problems we had, he said, we'll get back at it in about a month. After the event has ended and a few days have passed, looking back on everything, how did the staff feel about this year's how this year's event went? I think we had a great year, Louise Smith, Mule Day's public information director, said. We had a large crowd. If you were downtown on the parade site, you could not believe the people lined up on both sides of the street. Unless you go through the parade, you don't ever see that, she said. Each year the event happens, the club obviously reflects on the impact they have had on the community. That impact is special for those who have grown up and lived in Murray County. What exactly is that impact? The data suggests it's an annual windfall for local businesses and the surrounding communities. One of our main goals is to get people to Murray County. And of course, the tourism part is very big, Strain Smith said. We've had studies done that say the economic impact is upwards of $12 million in one year. But no matter the economic impact data, every year Mule Day brings excitement, joy, and fun to Murray County Park. And the Murray County Bridle and Saddle Club is eager to continue serving Columbia and Murray County. Columbia State Community College announced Desi Amons as the new head baseball coach for the Chargers. We are excited to announce the hiring of Coach Amons as the new baseball head coach at Columbia State, said Katie Willingham, Columbia State Director of, Ath- Director of Athletics. Desi has been a big component to the Charger program over the years, and we are thrilled to see what further steps the program will take under his leadership, she said. Amens, a Hohenwald native and Columbia State alum, will be the fifth head coach in the history of the program. He spent the last six years as an assistant under former head coach Mike Korn and has was named interim co-associate head coach for the 2022-2023 season. I'm extremely excited and humbled by the opportunity to be the next head baseball coach at Columbia State, stated Amens. I look forward to taking on the responsibility of shaping young men's lives, not only on the field, but within the classroom setting. In doing so, this institution and its standards can continue to form prominent members of society, he said. 
Amons played for the Chargers from 2012 to 2014 and was one of the captains of the 2014 Junior College World Series team. He continued his baseball career at Belmont University, where he graduated with a bachelor's degree in exercise science. Columbia State is excited to name Desi Amons one of its own to take the helm of the Charger baseball team, said Dr. Janet F. Smith, Columbia State president. Coach Amons is known locally for his time as a successful Charger baseball player and more recently for his return to Columbia State as an assistant student success coach. Last fall, on very quick notice, he stepped into a co-head coach position and provided the support and coaching that led to the continued success of our Chargers, she said. Desi has a love for baseball, but more importantly, he has a love for the success of his guys both on and off the field, Smith continued. He is as committed to their education and personal development as he is to their performance on the field, a combination that leads to success, she said. For more information about Columbia State Baseball, you can visit www.columbiastate.edu forward slash baseball. Many folks go home to their family after work in the evening, but for Karen Hunt and Nicole Jeanette, there's a special mother-daughter bond that keeps them together both on and off the clock. Adamantly, they insist, this ain't about flipping burgers, each in their own way affirming it's about people. Hunt, originally a Michigan transplant who is in Murray County because of her family's work at the Saturn plant, made a home for herself in Kalioka as a single mother. Hunt's journey up the ladder at McDonald's began as a young, at the young age of 15 when she landed her first job at the Trotwood store in Columbia. Working at McDonald's gave Hunt the perfect opportunity to earn extra cash while pursuing her, pursuing her high school education. After becoming a mother at a young age, Hunt had to make some adjustments in her life. However, her dedication and passion to her job never wavered, and she continued to work at McDonald's while raising her two children. Over the years, Karen's hard work and commitment paid off as she climbed the ranks from a crew member to a manager, general manager, and now a supervisor for the past nine years. Jeanette said she was not going to work at McDonald's at first, but her stepsister convinced her to apply. By the age of 18, she was a shift manager at the Trotwood Avenue McDonald's in Columbia. For the last five years, Jeanette has been on track to follow in her mom's business footsteps, having worked as general manager of the Thompson Station restaurant for five years. There's a lot of cheerleading with this job, a lot of coaching, but you have to have trust from your employees and customers, Jeanette said. Hunt said life skills are picked up along the way. You learn how to be a counselor, a work mother, a doctor, she said laughing. Today, Hunt is an area supervisor for multiple McDonald's stores owned by Tony and Gina Wolf, who operate the famous, famous burger franchise under Wolf Enterprises. Hunt has bypassed her 30-year work anniversary and is working on her 33rd year, while Jeanette is 14, has 14 years uh, under her belt at McDonald's. It's a business, people business, Hunt said. That's what kept me here. Like her mother, Jeanette agreed. Hunt said life threw some unexpected years of turbulence her direction, but she credits God and the Wolf family for coming behind her and supporting her family with consistent employment and room to adjust when life happened. God had his hand in it, she said, but there's no telling where I'd be without the Wolves being those role models for us. Both mother and daughter say they have worked a tour of all the area locations, getting a good feel of how each part of the local Mick family, as they call it, operates. With six stores in the county, the work-bonded mother-daughter team have spread their leadership to others, according to co-owner Gina Wolf, 
even now working separate stores. Just like Hunt, when she was coming up in management, Jeanette now commands respect and sees regular customers return, with one man who visits three times a day. Jeanette said her most appreciated qualities she's picked up from watching her mother's leadership has been the commitment to consistent hard work and nurturing and training her work staff. Wolf points out that what makes them special is what makes the best of managers, taking care of people in front of the counter and behind the counter. It's been great to watch them and be part of their lives, Gina Wolf said. We've been so blessed to witness their love, commitment, and dedication for others. They've been the epitome of greatness for us, she said. The mother and daughter enjoy family fun time in their off time and don't have any huge plans for Mother's Day other than to just be with family. Hunt said this weekend would be celebrating with her son, Timothy, Jeanette's 30th birthday, who, you guessed it, worked as a shift leader through high school and some of college, also under the Golden Arches. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mrs. Linda Robbins Weatherly, 86, went home to be with the Lord on Wednesday, May 10th, Funeral services for Mrs. Weatherly will be held on Monday, May 15th at 2 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends on Monday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Mr. Neil Fraser Blair, 90, retired accountant with DuPont Spontex, died Saturday at St. Thomas West Hospital in Nashville. Funeral services for Mr. Blair will be conducted on Wednesday at 11 a.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. The family will visit with friends on Tuesday from 5 to 8 p.m. at the funeral home. Burial will follow in Polk Memorial Gardens. Ms. Marjorie Helen Rye, 84, died unexpectedly on Friday at her residence in Columbia. The family of Ms. Rye will, be, will visit with friends on Tuesday from 4 to 7 p.m. at Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Funeral services for Ms. Rye will be held Thursday at 12 p.m. at Spring Hill Funeral Home in Madison, Tennessee. Burial will follow in Spring Hill Cemetery in Madison. The family will visit with friends at 11 a.m. until service time at Spring Hill Funeral Home. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer and why the way you feel has always been so important to Susie and Tony Sowell. When people come here, I hope they feel like they're working with a person who's just like family. And by the time they leave here, I hope they feel like they're a part of our family. What I like most is when a family is leaving, they can say thanks. You made something we thought would be hard easier than we thought it would be. Not that we made it easy, we made it easier. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have a mix of sun and clouds today with thunderstorms likely in the afternoon. The high will reach about 85 degrees with light and variable winds. The chance of rain, 90%. Tonight, we can expect some clouds and a stray shower or a thunderstorm. The low will be 66 degrees. 
Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. (laughs) My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance, our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first. For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see Shelter Agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Tint on Wheels is changing their Columbia location. You can now visit us at 406 South James Campbell Boulevard. The same window tinting you've trusted for over 30 years on all types of windows, car, business, or residential. We now offer accessories to elevate your ride. It's only getting bigger and better. With three locations, Columbia, Lewisburg, and Lawrenceburg. We do our best for you. Summer's coming. Let's get you ready. Call 931-619-TINT today. Coach, baseball is back, and WKRM 103.7 is excited to bring you coverage and sponsorship options for this 2023 season. That's right, Taff, and this year our advertising partners have the option to sponsor our live Little League coverage, Atlanta Braves coverage, or a combo package that carry both of them. This area loves baseball, and what a great way to support the community by helping us bring coverage of our Little League, but also taking a moment to promote local businesses. People are crazy about the Atlanta Braves. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's something special and timeless about baseball radio broadcast. There sure is. So visit Front Porch Radio TN and click on the blue Advertise With Us button for more information about how your company can sponsor baseball of all kinds this season with WKRM. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. 
and now news from around the state. More than a month after a House ethics panel found a sitting state representative sexually harassed a 19-year-old intern, legislative officials are still refusing to release any record or even a dollar amount of what taxpayer money the Office of Legislative Administration appears to have spent to address the situation. Because of strict secrecy rules officials are enforcing, it's unclear whether state law and legislative expenditure rules were followed when spending money to relocate the intern. State law that appropriates legislative funding requires the office to obtain approval from the House or Senate Senate Speaker's office before spending money, but the House Speaker's office denies any involvement, including approving spending. Following an ethics complaint filed against former Representative Scotty Campbell on March 21st, an intern was relocated from her apartment, housed for 22 nights in a town place suites downtown, and her belongings were sent home. Officials spent nearly $10,000, including $935 cash given to the intern to break her lease, to quietly relocate the intern and leave Campbell undisturbed, News Channel 5 reported. But officials refuse to release any record or even acknowledge that thousands of taxpayer dollars have been spent in has have been spent to in the wake of the harassment and have repeatedly denied requests for records and information submitted by the Tennessean seeking transparency. The Office of Legislative Administration also declined to provide the number of ethics complaints filed by legislative staff or interns in recent years, the number of sexual harassment complaints filed and the number of staff investigations conducted. Officials say the legislature's harassment policy requires strict confidentiality, prohibiting disclosure or discussion of of anything to do with the complaint. We continue to decline to release any information attached to or part of any proceedings related to the workplace discrimination and harassment policy, Legislative Administration Director Connie Ridley told the Tennessean in an email. While the policy does prohibit identification of victims, disclosure of specific accusations in a complaint, and corrective actions taken, it does not specifically prohibit disclosure of public spending made after an ethics complaint is filed. But because of the secrecy surrounding the incident, it's difficult to tell whether state appropriations law was followed. Would the General Assembly really agree that the General Assembly can secretly spend money to clean up a wayward lawmaker's problems and that money may be unlimited? They could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in secret for something like that, said Deborah Fisher, executive director of the Tennessee Coalition for Open Government. I don't think the people of Tennessee think that's right, and I don't think the members of the General Assembly would think that's right. It may not be much, but if it were to, if we were to think they could hide $10,000 or $15,000, they could hide $100,000, she said. The state law that created the Office of Legislative Administration, which handles human resources, payroll, record requests, and other matters for the General Assembly, allows the office to spend money for the lawful expenses of the legislature. But the appropriations law that allocates money for the legislature's operations like lawmaker and staff pay requires the office to get approval for all expenditures from the Speaker of the House or Senate. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee today. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at 10pin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. 
Turner and Osborne Tire Company, 1016 South Main Street in Columbia. Give them a call at 931-388-6822. They've been doing business since 1947 and in their current location since 1964. They provide the best tire and mechanical work at some of the best prices in Middle Tennessee. Hey, they're official Michelin and Goodyear dealers, and they've got all kinds of brands as well. Stop by and see Walker Vining and his professional staff or check them out online at turnerandosborne.com. That's turnerandosborne.com. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee today. And now our final story. Dollywood's Big Bear Mountain Roller Coaster, the largest single attraction investment in the park's history, opened with much fanfare, a nod to the Great Smoky Mountains, and, of course, a visit from Dolly Parton herself. At 3,990 linear feet, the ride is three-quarters of a mile long and is notably the longest roller coaster in the history of Parton's legendary theme park in East Tennessee. The $25 million coaster is located within the park's kid-friendly Wildwood Grove section, allowing even young adventurers to enjoy the ride. It has a minimum height requirement of just 39 inches. Featuring a top speed of 48 miles per hour, Big Bear Mountain takes guests through three separate launches, multiple airtime hills, high-speed carousel turns and tunnels, including a breathtaking pass behind a waterfall. In addition to the opening of Big Bear Mountain this year, the Dollywood Company is also slated to open its second resort property, Dollywood's Heartsong Lodge and Resort. Tucked away in a beautiful cove in the rolling foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains, the lodge will welcome the outdoors with high ceilings, exposed beams, and natural layered textures. For more information about Big Bear Mountain, Dollywood's Heartsong Lodge and Resort, and the 2023 opening season, please visit www.dollywood.com. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM WKRM Radio. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.